1: You're very welcome to late lunch this Tuesday afternoon. I'm just looking at the weather forecast, man on the telly and the sunshine everywhere. God, it's no misty morning with an east wind though, wasn't it? But anyway, the afternoon looking really good and tomorrow too. Most welcome indeed, I have to say, as you are to our show today. Don't forget the usual numbers if you want to get in touch and you're going to need these numbers in a while because I have some great prizes to give away from Oliver Goff Sales and Higher Flower Hill Navin who are celebrating 60 years in in business. Huskvarna, a streamer to give away today, and at the end of the week, a Huskvarna autumn more worth 5 thousand euro. It's all about weeds on late lunch. Do you know your weeds? I'll give you some clues today about a common weed in our lawns because you know the strimmer. Yes, you use the strimmer to cut grass, root out weeds, stuff like that. That's why we're asking you about weeds. So I hope you've done your homework last night, but I'll tell you about that and on. Last evening I went along to a meeting. I haven't been at a meeting in ages and you know I spent an awful lot of my life at meetings. If I had a pound for every meeting I went to through my lifetime, I'd be a very wealthy individual. Anyway, I did go along last Night out of curiosity, because you see, there was a meeting of the Drogheda City Status Group, and I have to say, I enjoyed the meeting thoroughly. Went on for a couple of hours, and there was unbelievable drone footage of the development that's going on. If you live in this neck of the woods on the north and south side of Drogheda, it was eye opening, and well done to Anthony Murphy for producing that footage. There was a special invited guest there last evening, and he was intriguing. He's the former chairman of the Housing Agency and well known Irish independent columnist, and more to his bow besides, let me tell you. Connor Skihan was there. He's with me this afternoon. Afternoon, Connor. Hello, Jerry. How are you? I'm good. May I say to you last night, thank you again for a wonderful presentation. It was simply uh, really thought-provoking and eye-opening. Can I ask you, you were an independent, invited there, no uh, axe to grind with anybody coming into the area with a, a neutral eye. This uh, n- area here, north and south of the River Boyne, East Mead, Drogheda, it's unbelievable what's coming down the tracks, Connor. just for our listeners to context it.
2: Well, I think that the, the area is remarkable for a number of reasons. It's remarkable because of the speed with which it is growing in terms of development, but also because of the way that it's happening within the bigger context of the of Ireland as a whole and the entire region of Lennon. Um, we're at a crucial stage in our evolution where we're having to move away from thinking of ourselves living in to speak to now, realising we're living in big regions, uh, the idea of a city as something that originally all around it uh, is not for the future. It's the future of yourself. A region that people drive around, around Con- and to walk Connor, Connor,
1: we're just losing you there a little bit. Your, your, is your coverage a little dicky? Could you just move for me slightly, maybe uh, there, and and pick up a little better signal? We wouldn't mind, would you?
2: I'm so so trying to move. Is this, um, I'm, I'm very sorry. This is sort of, uh see if this is any better for you. Yeah,
1: that's, that's loud and clear. coming to Just go back to that again, the, the traditional view of a city as against what's happening here.
2: The traditional view of the city as being something that has walls around it. It's a very the idea now of a functioning urban region where people move around within it to work and to live and to go to school and that type of stuff. So there are much bigger areas and uh, the what you're seeing happening in the centre of what we might call the region uh, around Drogheda is just part of a bigger picture. And uh, I think that that's what's so remarkable. And then when you add to that the natural advantages that Drogheda has in terms of its proximity to Belfast on one hand, Dublin on the other, the airport, all of the amazing uh, resources that are available, like the port and the rail lines and the motorways, And then on top of that, all the amazing natural assets of those coastal communities to the east and the amazing rural uh, areas to live on on the west. So you could say it's got an embarrassment of riches. It has it all.
1: And when you look at the outlying areas, if you start in, say, Mead Eastmead with Leightown, Beddingstown, Donna Kearney coming, sweeping across then, as you said, inland towards Tully Allen, out then to the north side draw to the villages of Termin, Feckin, etc. And Mornington, I meant to mention, in there as well, on the south side. You're looking, when you look at the presentation last night, of touching 100,000 people uh, over the next five to ten years
2: well this is this is the why it 's such an interesting time to be uh, involved and, and watching this growth. Once things go over a a threshold of about 50,000 people, there's recognition all over the world that they then become cities. And cities are a very different animal, so to speak, to a large town. And that's why this magic figure of 50,000 is watched so closely. And that's why you're so wise in draw to have a group of people who are aiming for city status. My challenge, of course, to that group of people last night is that uh, with the To that size comes responsibilities because uh, all cities are then recognised as having what's called a metropolitan area around them and they're places that are within a 30-minute drive and all those places you just men- mentioned a moment ago are less than a 30-minute drive if you were to measure from say junctions uh, 8, 9 and 10 along the M1 there and suddenly you have to recognise that the future prosperity of Drogheda is far beyond uh, the edge of the built-up area and extends probably all the way to Navan and all the way down to places like Balbriggan and all the other places you've mentioned so they're, they're, it's a key part now Of a regional economy, and it's got to be thought of and planned for and resourced very differently.
1: You challenge the people to think bigger, not just to confine it to a a city or a metro or an urban area. You came up with this EMMA. Emma, tell us what that what Emma stands for.
2: Well, Emma is just off the top of my head name for that functional metropolitan region. So Emma, the uh, the East Mead. Uh, metropolitan area, Emma, uh, is the idea that, you know, you have responsibilities now as a town of 50,000 people assisting uh, for those areas and they're not going to prosper if Drogheda itself doesn't prosper and it's an understanding of the need to reach out. So I'm imagining a successful Emma in the future uh, will have to operate Almost beyond, if not above, traditional county boundaries. It's a very common issue with these uh, functional areas of cities that they go beyond administrative boundaries. And uh, so that you'll end up, for instance, with things like transportation services initially. I could see all of the bus services in that EMMA area having an EMMA badge on them, the trails, the walks. Uh, cultural offerings, music events, festivals, sporting events, maybe even teams start to operate like that. And just in case your listeners think that that sounds incredibly ambitious, it's important to remember that it's less than 30 years the idea Fingal was invented as an administrative area, and now it's on every single little van driving around uh, in that, that part of the city. And the identity of places like Town and Swords and Malahide have been submerged into this larger thing that we now call Fingal. So it's very important to have those big pictures. Uh, nobody talks about swords anymore, we talk about Fingal, and that's what the future is for you.
1: You mentioned the county boundaries and there was a, a very good representation of politicians last night from East Meath, uh, from the South Lowther area as well, along with an, an awful lot of other interested parties from different walks of life. Are you saying to me that, you know, up to this, county boundaries and county councils operated within their boundaries were sacrosanct? Do you do you see that changing, really changing?
2: They have to change. I have to change, Jerry. I mean, there is a pattern in Ireland, there's actually provision in the legislation for changing bounds to take account of new realities, and a lot of places in Ireland are hamstrung by those boundaries. Limerick City for years was damaged by the fact that it couldn't control its own external boundaries, and it's thrived now since they address that. Waterford hasn't been so lucky. Waterford hasn't been lucky enough to get uh, recognition of the fact that a lot of its functional areas are now in South Kilkenny and there are other areas around. But the most outstanding example in the state of Ireland is the way that Dryad has cut off from a recognition of its functional urban area. And uh, it's got to be recognised. It's got to be administered now as a single unit. But as I was saying to the people last night, this is a reality that's already on the ground and administrative structures, boundaries and county council agendas are running to catch up with it and you've got to get ahead of it and if it's not given to you you have to take it you have to take it and start to operate as an urban area
1: how does it happen you know i'm just trying, and that's what i suppose a lot of people are asking last night when you have central government local government structured in different ways and perhaps and obviously with with, with a different view of the world how do you progress this practically connor
2: you have to take it, take it and run with it, so to speak. So, two very good examples of people taking it and running with it. Uh, one is years old, Shannon Development. So, Shannon Development operates across and beyond the boundaries of Clare and Kerry and Limerick to make an incredibly powerful economic unit within Ireland. Or another more recent example is the Wild Atlantic Waste. So, False Ireland, to their eternal credit, invented this new thing that cuts across many, many counties and has made something that's now a resource for Ireland. So, yeah, have to take with it and run it nobody gives you power Jerry you have to take it and run with
1: it Talla came up in the conversation and I think you made the point too that Talla, you know was the great white hope and people moved out there and they built houses by the new time the Talla centre there but nothing else besides there's a big danger here there's houses going up uh, in this region we're talking about all over the place but what about the roads the amenities the jobs Connor?
2: well part of the role of drawing attention to the city status of dhara is to get the increased funds that are necessary so it's fantastic that you raise the example of tala because tala Blanchestown and Klondauken all have huge populations in the region of 75000 each they never actually became recognized as cities though they're well in, uh, above the schedule the schedule of what should be a, a city town but numbers alone doesn't give you any entitlement you have to take it you have to strive for it and one of the important things they're doing is going to the city status to start to get themselves the entitlement on the list to be treated the same way as places like Waterford and Galway.
1: You challenge people as well not to replicate the mistakes made in some of those areas you mentioned as well that there are, there are prime examples there of the way not to do it.
2: Well the main not to do it is to, is to sit back and rest on the laurels of entitlement. We're 50,000 people now, so we're entitled to this, that, and the other. You certainly have to use it to make your case, but you've got to run away ahead of it as well and start to put structures in place. They can start off as very light structures, like I said, around things like sport and entertainment and transportation, but the idea starts to stick. So the Wild Atlantic Way has now stuck everywhere in the west of Ireland. Shannon Development has stuck down in the southwest of Ireland. When you go to places like California, the name Silicon Valley has stuck, but that just happens the repeated application by people in public eye of using those words you've got to disseminate it so even things like your radio show here have a role to play in building that identity
1: the drone footage i mentioned there while introducing you today by anthony murphy he did a great job on it my word when you look at it from the sky you do realize how these conurbations are merging don't you
2: You do. And uh, if anything, uh, if I had any criticism, it's that they concentrate too much on just showing you what's built and what's housing. It should also be showing you the parks and the golf courses and the garden centres and all those other glue, pieces of glue that tie those areas together. And when you realise what you're actually looking at, you realise it's a vast area and the housing is only just the tip of the iceberg, so to speak.
1: In a general sense, and it's something that it just came up briefly last night, but the, the centre of towns, and it doesn't, doesn't just apply to, draw to all our town centres, and I know you're familiar with this as well. How do you reinvigorate? Are the schemes enough, you know, the, the money that's been made available to put into uh, space over traditional shops or shops that are closed? You know what I'm talking about, at the yeah. heart of towns and that. Is that something that, you know, the government are serious about and can also help to regenerate?
2: The government are very serious about it and they are trying to throw money at it. Uh, Living over the shop is called Lots and uh, it's got a name that everybody in planning knows about it because it's recognised as a problem everywhere in the world and it's also recognised as being something that's very seldom solved. It is not a bleak message. Some places do solve it, but most of the solution does not lie with the government. Most of the solution owns of what is typically a relatively small number of relatively large landowners in the town centre. If they have the initiative to cooperate and get on together, you can get fantastic successes. But if they don't, it falls. So we brilliant successes in Ireland and places like Sligo and Kilkenny and Clonmel, where those landowners got together and cooperated to allow those backlands to be reinvigorated, and come back to life. And there's other areas which stagnates because it's never happened it's up to the people from the town just
1: before I let you go you did conclude by saying that the the region we're talking about has so much going for it and you uh, alluded to some of them there in the course of our conversation what's your gut feeling what do you feel 10-20 years hence I was
2: very uh, blunt with the crowd who were there last night saying that uh, if you guys in this room fail to do this, Ireland as a whole will suffer. I, I as you said at the beginning, have no connection with Trahada or the area around it but I care passionately about it because it's such an important part of Ireland realising its potential. If you guys Don't take this ball and run with it. If it just develops as another area that develops haphazardly, we all will be impoverished for it. It's a fantastic opportunity for Ireland, and it's a terrible responsibility for the people in that room to make it happen.
1: Connor, thank you so much for joining me today. Loved what you had to say last night, and I'm sure we'll be talking again down the road. Thanks a million. Okay, Jerry, take care. Bye bye. Take care yourself. Bye bye. That's Connor Ski in there, former chairman of the Housing Authority. I was mildly impressed by what he had to say last night. I hope that gives you a, a feel for it. But uh, the numbers are certainly stacking up, that's for sure. Late lunch, LMFM radio. Dermot Kennedy. And power over me on your late lunch. Oh, Louise, they've gone mad guessing already with. Only just one clue. Mm. There you go. Will I give the second one? No, I'll hold on till after two. No, really. I don't. Yeah, I'll hold on just after news it two. I'll give you the second one then. Have a listen to that. But I have to say, many people on the ball, others Aren't. off the mark. I'm saying. I'm not saying nothing else. But anyway, clue number I two. I got it right, didn't I? You did. Yeah. I guess you did. Don't say I won't it. Say anything. Don't mention the war. Um, did you see that today? There's a shortage of ban on teas in the Gale Talked.
3: Yes. Did I read know, that this see, morning. That
1: wee story, yeah. yeah. Um, down, down 30% since 2018. Uh, did you ever go to Gaeltocht? Uh,
3: yes, but I went to Rathcarn, which is just over the road from it, really. <laughs> so I wouldn't <laughs> class it as an experience as, say, going no. to Donegal or Galway.
1: No, no. Well, I, I, I can tell you, I never went in my school-going days, but I went to the Gaeltocht as a civil servant. Right. There was a, uh, an organisation within the civil service called Gael Agris. Okay. And you could apply to go to the Talks, Kerry, Galway, Donegal for a week. <laughs> Fully paid by the state. Of course. <sighs> and I went to Carraroe in Galway. Carreau, Gale Gaeltock. Beautiful. I can still remember it many moons ago. Beat 1980, I'd say, around that time. And uh, had a ball a week. You had Irish glasses. You were staying with the banantees. You were in yeah. a Banan Is house. it like
3: that ad, you know, where the mother has to post this, um, the catch up down?
1: <laughs> well, let me There's tell no you. Ketchup. Let me tell you the times we lived in. My mother and father didn't hear from me for the week. <laughs> How no was it? We no, had no, no phone at home. No mo- How did we survive? How in the name of God we survived? Anyway, down to Carra and had a whale of week. Did a bit of fishing down there as well, but learned to dance. You know the set dancing, the jig
3: and all At uh, the, the set the dancing, yeah, okay. and do
1: you know who I danced with in the Gaeltoch? Mm mm mm. Claim to fame.
3: Claim to fame, right? No, I have no clue. Mo- yeah. <laughs> <laughs> She's from the Gaeltoch, isn't
1: she? She isn't. Johnny Gall. No, well, Galway, a Galway, Galway woman, a woman, a Galway girl. as She was at the time. Moira Gigg Quinn. I danced with. The minister, the
0: former she gave minister. Direction.
1: She gave me direction on the floor, I'll tell you that. <laughs> and she had a good bucking hold of me, I'll tell you that for sure. Myself and Myra dancing in the gale. Like, yeah, gale Agris. And I still remember the song. We used to sing a song. Nadine, the Muincher a, Agris. is far <laughs> no, I still please. remember it. I still remember <laughs> the song, the Irish song when I was there. Do P-
3: you know what it means? P-
1: yeah, the what? people of Gail Agris okay. uh, are the best in the land. That's what it was about. Right. Anyway, we had a whale of a time in the Gail and I at see you and Fred cook down there, at, actually. At that stage, I didn't take a drink. I was a, a lemonade man at that mm. stage, always was. But we had a fantastic time. Really, really great. On the taxpayers' <laughs> watch. And shift and everything. And of course, you had to come back. You had to do a little, you had to do an exam to get down there. So you had to pass a little test and in an interview, which you did. And, and what was it that you needed to, Irish? Yeah, you need a bit so of Irish. So you had to
3: prove you were really bad at Irish. Yeah.
1: No, well, yeah. You, ha, you had to have some <laughs> Irish. And then when you went down, you see, there was lessons every morning, and then there was the dancing in the evenings and all that type of thing that went along with it. it was and were the great. lessons
3: just pure Oscalga? Oscalga. So you
1: just had to sit there and. Absolutely. Just. And in the house, the ban on tea would only talk to you. Oskelga as well. The only thing they couldn't send you home, <laughs> so you were well, you were a mad young adult at that stage. But so it was uh,
3: lonely for you down there because you couldn't understand oh, the sure, world sure. around I you. was
1: I was so lonely. Ah, uh-huh. oh, sure, I cried every night. So yeah, I
3: I'd say so. I cried with
1: the thought of going back to work and going back Even home. Your as prayers
3: well. to go home, or Os <laughs> <laughs>
1: Anyway, that's my story. And the gale talks on the ban and teas. Licklands.
3: Why? Why is there a shortage, by the way? Very quickly.
1: I'd say they're fed up. <laughs> Mammy and wild youngsters no from ketchup. the east of Ireland yeah, and as well uh, pandering to their dietary requirements I'd say it's something to do with it. I must read the story anyway, I just saw the headline anyway and there's less and less of them but the ban tea we need her for sure Now a hundred years ago the Irish Civil War raged from the 28th of June 1922 until the 24th of May 1923 it followed of course the war of independence and it split the country it split families it split streets neighborhoods you name it well this coming weekend this saturday in particular in the church of ireland a beautiful hall on peter street in Drogheda, there is a special event to commemorate this time and i'm delighted to welcome back to studio one of our valued contributors and late lunch historian sean collins welcome again sean
4: Good afternoon, Jerry. Thank you for your lovely welcome.
1: Not at all. You are so welcome always here. Um, Saturday, Church
4: of Ireland, Peter Street, it's booking up fast. It certainly is. Uh, we're, we, we were pleasantly surprised by the response. We knew we had a certain amount coming, but uh, it's available to book on Eventbrite and the numbers are climbing. So you
1: need to get your booking and it's across social media as well. You'll find the event at Loud County Council, Loud Library, etc. Look, the war finished, uh, the Irish Civil War uh, in May, the 24th of May, twenty-three, uh, nineteen twenty-three. 1923. F- what I said there,
4: it was the most divisive of conflicts. It was indeed. Uh, Liam Lynch, uh, the leader and irreconcilable leader of the anti-treaty IRA, was killed in action in April of 1923. His successor, Frank Aiken at the origin of civilian Republicans under Raymond De Valera called a ceasefire uh just about this time. One of the things about the uh, civil war is they didn't they never surrendered. So there was never a negotiated end to it. But on the twenty third of um April Uh, Aiken issued an order for the men to pull back in May he ordered them to lay down their arms there had been a meeting in March where a vote was taken on ending the war and Lynch's vote carried it to keep the war going so with Lynch killed on the 11th of April there was no further opposition they realised that they couldn't win Uh, the National Army were being supplied by Britain uh, and were a much more effective force When you think of how brothers
1: turned against brothers, families, you know, were fractured down the middle, the ramifications, even though, as you say, there was a ceasefire and ultimately it ended, but never an end to the conflict, this went on for generations. Does it still go on today
4: or has it been settled by what's happened in government between the two big parties? Hopefully uh, I think politically it has been settled. We now have the two main parties that emerged from the Civil War, Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael, are in government together. So I can only hope that it's that signalled a real end to Civil War politics. Very sadly, Winston Churchill said, give the Irish guns and they'll shoot themselves. And that's exactly what they did. Uh, the treaty wasn't acceptable uh, to one group. Um, it was acceptable to the majority of the people, but the democratic process wasn't effectively recognised. Um, you could see division. Um, in local councils, literally from the treaty was signed. The treaty was signed on the the sixth of December, nineteen twenty-one. Uh, it was put before the people over the next twelve months. The proposals and seconders and votes and for and against. But already, say for instance, we can see in the Corporation at the January meeting in 1922 barely a month after the treaty had been signed uh, the representatives divided on the issue of the mayor at that time the mayor was elected at the january meeting and annually every january they elected the mayor Um, in the local elections of 1920 Sinn Féin had taken 13 of the 24 seats which secured them the majority so we had a Sinn Féin mayor in 2021 and in 22 uh, when the vote came uh, they split on the issue of the mayor Although Philip Monahan, a pro-treaty mayor, was elected, he was elected with support of other members of the council. The old nationalists supported Monahan, But there was already a division, as I said, barely six weeks after the treaty mm, had been signed, amazing, you had that it? division in the town, mm, mm. and it was identifiable in that way and would continue throughout the country to mm. be identifiable when people started taking their sides. Yes. In Dublin, uh, the anti-treaty uh, wing effectively took control of places like the Four Courts from April of '22, and that's the July was the trigger month when everything kicked off. Um, Collins was being put under, and Collins and his government were being put under extreme pressure uh, by the British government uh, to resolve the issue of the Irregulars who had established their headquarters at the Four Courts in Dublin. Um, the Winston Churchill planned to attack them. Uh, on the 25th of June uh, 1922 with the war long over the war of independence long over but he planned to protect them and get them out and so Collins was brought under pressure to do something about it so he accepted uh, artillery uh, from the British Army and with the kidnapping of a general called Ginger O'Connell by the Irregulars on the 25th of June effectively that was the straw that broke the camel's back and on the 28th of June the artillery was brought in and fired at the Forecourts. Uh, the barrage went on uh, for three days, and the gun book um, records that three hundred and twelve shells were fired at the forecourts. So then to bring it close to home, the very next entry in the gun book, which is on the fourth of July, a day after Dublin had stopped, is the shelling of Millmount and Drada. Uh, where 40 shells were fired at the Martello, or the fortified tower. Many people call it a Martello tower, but it's not. It's a fortified tower, and it was destroyed. And uh, for all the ferrari and, and the, the, the bombing or the shelling, um, you know, thanks be to God, there were very few people killed. Uh, there was nobody killed in the shelling. Uh, but there were one or two casualties in the town, of the Civil War. People Mm. like uh, Liam Leach, uh, a young uh, irregular volunteer, was killed on the Pitcher Hill steps. Uh, Alice Slowey, an innocent uh, bystander observing the shelling, uh, was caught up in a raid by the regular army and was killed behind a doorway in Fair Street. Uh, They were the casualties we suffered, but Milmount would have been our main casualty. The next big event in the North East, of course, was on the 27th of July uh, when a Bombs were used to break the wall at Dundalk Jail, and Frank Aiken and a hundred of his men escaped. So, these were the focuses. That, that's bringing it home to the to the northeast, to the yes. Loudmead area. Mm. One of the great ironies of the man in charge of everything was General uh, Sean Boylan of County Mead, uh, who was the director for the whole area. And uh, while he wasn't present at the shelling of Millmount he was the man that would have overlooked or overlooked the orders and gave the orders for to suppress the irregulars. And after Milmount, uh, the big concentration of the Civil War was to move south, mm-hmm. and the the National Army went on the offensive. Yeah. And over the next eleven months, uh, upwards on fifteen hundred Irish people lost their lives. Uh, which will show you how bitter uh, the conflict was was and how it would become such a bitter conflict
1: and and the weekend and your event uh, is commemorating in particular three local men, Hugh Thornton uh, Michael Woods and Patrick Green uh, from uh, Peter Street, Nuns Walk and Winwell Road in Droghane in particular. These guys served in the National Army and were killed, you mentioned the, the offensive
4: in the south, in Cork during the conflict. Yes indeed. Uh, three uh, young men from the town. Uh, Taunton, quite experienced, uh, had fought in the GPO in 1916. Uh, the three of them were killed in County Cork in different conflicts, in, in three different events. Uh, Breen and Woods uh, were both... Young man from the town, 19 years of age, uh, Brian. It's recorded on his headstone, which is the only record where it says, "Up in Saint Peter's Cemetery, the first national soldier killed from Drogheda." Mm. So he enlisted in August, and he was dead by the end of August and he was 19 years of age Uh, Woods the same, he came from Nun's Walk Uh, Taunton as I said was more experienced but there were three young men who were killed Uh, they're effectively forgotten about in the town, like nobody uh, ever mentions them or heard of them in the years to follow the Civil War Um, many Republicans were commemorated uh, by their streets being named after them. Should there, probably isn't a town in Ireland that hasn't a terrace or a street named after us. some Republican that was killed, and rightly so. But it's sad to see that three young men from Drogheda are not remembered. And we determined this weekend with our seminar to remember them because they were young in this time of reconciliation. Uh, we must recognise every side. Uh, they took one side, perhaps they just went for a job. Mm. I don't know. We'll never know now. Uh, but it, it would be nice if they were remembered, and that's what we would like to do. Mm.
1: Isn't it something, and you'd mentioned this to me and we were talking, in the run-up to this conversation, and that's something that never dawned on me, that no street names bear the names of you Know the,
4: the, the what would you call the side that you yeah. know had the mandate from the people? Absolutely, yeah, that, that, that's the saddest part. Um, a man called Jim Langton in Dublin uh compiled a, or published a book last year called Forgotten Fallen, and it highlighted the amount of um Irish soldiers, members of the National Army, who were killed in that civil war conflict, and um, they estimate eight to nine hundred. Uh, National Army men were killed and the vast majority, uh, and I mean about 95% of them, would be young men, Mm. just like Breen and and Woods, 19 years of age, out on you know, following a career, following a dream, uh, maybe following a a commitment uh, to the treaty, but they joined the National Army and it was the National Army, no matter what people want to Mm. criticise it or take a stance against it it was the army established by the Free State which was our government and uh, by the end of the Civil War they had 12,000 men in the field so it was quite a substantial force by, by, by that stage.
1: There were some awful atrocities, especially towards the end of the conflict. I was looking re- uh, in recent weeks, Ballyseedy came up again in yes, conversation. What happened yeah. there was horrendous. Wasn't it? It,
4: indeed it was, and it, it's so sad that those things have never been fully investigated or mm. presented. Uh, they were effectively written out of history. Uh, there were war crimes in my opinion, and and uh, while many of the, the people that perpetrated them went on to uh, Lead uh, very good lives as as based on the heroism uh, during the civil war. The heroism wasn't really uh, something to show about. bit. Uh, also, offences against women were completely written off through shame and all sorts of things. And at last, uh, these events are beginning to be examined. Mm. And, and you know, in Ballyseedy, uh, they put a group of Republicans around a tree and tied them together and they dropped the landmine in between them and the men were literally blown to bits. Uh, One man, a man named Stephen Fulham, uh, was blown clear and uh, they didn't know there was anybody. It would give you an idea of the intensity of the explosion. Uh, Fulham was blown into a ditch and Noam saw him and he lay there uh, half dead but managed to crawl away and he blew the whistle as to what had happened. Mm. Uh, people like Paddy O'Daly, who was the commander-in-chief in Kerry of the Free State Forces, these are the men that implemented this. Mm. And, and uh, it's something that needs to be examined uh, to you know, bring some solace to the victims, mm. bring an end to it uh, and, and bring closure to it. Uh, but I believe all sides, regardless of what they did or didn't do, uh, if they lost their lives, they should be remembered. I just see you have a wonderful
1: line-up on uh, Saturday. Uh, Lieutenant Colonel Stephen McOwen is attending, Liz Gillis, uh, yourself. And then there's a walk, there's a town walk, uh, to yep. highlight, you know, the the history, the, the, the remaining history in buildings and
4: structures. The little places that are left, we decided, the organisation, the National Ex-Servicemen, the slain and Drogheda members, uh, would like to match and just visit the little sites that are to remember the people because, if, as I said, they're forgotten. Uh, we'll start out at Peter Street, uh, go by way of the Nun's Walk, uh, and they're going to have a colour party, which I think will be very nice. And everyone is invited to come along on the walk. We have a number of different speakers uh, at the club. We have... Uh, P.O. Smith, the local councillor, will talk about Michael Woods and Jack McAvoy. Uh, Jack was uh, a member of Collins's headquarters staff, who sadly died in October 1922 uh, from pneumonia, and he's buried in the Cold Cemetery. And clearly on his headstone, it points out that he was an officer in Collins's group. Um, Claire McAvoy, his niece. An old friend of yours from your Droughty United days. Uh, Claire paid some years ago to have the stone cleaned up and re erected. And so it's nice that he's remembered. Yes. Uh, in uh, the Cod Road, uh, we have Kathleen Dempsey, uh, an active member of Coming and her grandnephew Sean O'Brien is going to talk about Kathleen and a number of other people along the Cod Road. And uh, we'll end up back at uh, Fair Street uh, at the punt. Where Alice Slowey, whose family owned the pub at the time, was observing the shelling of Millmount uh, from a house on the far side of the road, on the, the, the town side, and uh, was in the house when the house was raided by Free State soldiers. Uh, they fired through the front door as she was approaching the door to open it, and Alice was killed. So she was a, a victim of the Civil War. Nice casualty mm, so in the Civil War. So that's the
1: idea of the day on Saturday. Anyway, if you want to book a place, Eventbrite, it starts at 10am at uh, the lovely hall at St Peter's Church of Ireland at the top of Peter Street in Drogheda. Eventbrite.ie, all information there, Loud County Council, Loud Library, etc. All supporting it. Sean, thank you for giving us a flavour of what's to come on Saturday and the ending
4: of the Irish Civil War. It's great to see you again. Thanks for having me, Jerry. You're Always happy. nice to be here. It's time for our Two on Tuesday.
5: Two on Tuesday.
4: <laughs> Playing the songs that just never quite made it to number one.
1: But we were so
0: close. i am going to be number, number one. We were so close. Two on Tuesday. Two on Tuesday.
1: I'm going back a few years today. 1967, it was recorded, released in 1968. The song tells the story of a man who passes his girlfriend's window and sees her inside making love to another man. He waits outside all night and then confronts her in the morning, only to have her laugh in his face. He stabs her to death and then waits for the police to come, break the door down and arrest him. You know it well. It's our Two on Tuesday. Ah, Tom Jones and Delilah never made number one No, it was number two for three weeks It was kept off the top spot by two different songs One of them was Cliff Richard and Congratulations But the one that kept it off top spot for two weeks Here it is Lady
4: Madonna Children at your feet Wonder how you managed to make ends meet
1: Beatles And Lady Madonna, responsible for keeping Mr. Tom Jones off the top spot. Well, Louise, need I ask you or have you any opinion or will I not bother?
3: What year was that?
1: No, I don't want to even mention it. I just don't
3: know why the Rita Bixad didn't get to number one. <laughs> Beatlemania must have been. That's the only reason. Delilah by a long shot, by I By a think. long shot. Yeah. I think so
1: too. But you had Beatlemania. And then Cliff came in with Congratulations. You know, he was number two for three weeks. <laughs> Beatles first two weeks. And then bloody Cliff arrives with Congratulations. And Tom Jones say, just my bloody luck. <laughs> that he'd record that song. That's probably one of the most played songs But he in did the world. get a
3: second bite with it, didn't he? Did he? Do you not come back On the back of that ad I never He didn't make a number one He never did But he got got up the charts again Yeah
1: oh yeah Listen It it got another run A couple of times But it never made it To top spot Mm -hmm, You know Two was the best It ever did But there you go Yeah and it's a great Old party song It Uh, is great I have to mention Liam Manning A good friend of mine uh, Who lives in Lordship Well known man Worked with him in Aircom For years Great guy That was Liam's party piece Mm -hmm. And everyone loved And could he deliver it I'll tell you Liam Manning could deliver that simply brilliantly, Delilah. Anyway, that's your two on Tuesday for this week. Who doesn't like their cars or motoring? They must be in the minority for sure. Some people, I suppose, don't. But anyway, our motoring man, Tony Conlon. We love him. He's back with us in studio today. Hi again, Tony. Good, jury, Thank you. Thanks yeah. for joining me. Uh, we're going to talk about a couple of cars you've been driving since you were with us here last. Yeah, this yeah. DS4 plug-in. Now, the last day you were here, mm-hmm. you caused a ripple, let me tell you, and okay. I heard plenty about afterwards when you were talking about the plugins, ins vis a full electric etc
6: what about this ds4 well you know it worked for me there's no doubt all about that and it worked because i probably worked hard with it uh, but there was a great fuel returns on it and, and it actually was fantastic from that perspective it pleased me so many bloody ways because of the the design of it and the finish of it. the, the See, th- what is a DS? A DS is the swanky side of Citroën, basically. And they're standing on their own using the words DS, up and beals and whatever. Yes. And these were very famous cars years ago. Uh, like the presidents drove them and <clears> the <throat> archbishops in Ireland drove them and all the people that could afford them at the time drove them. And then they kind of went by the wayside but now they're back and of course they're underneath the Gown Auto Umbrella, mm. this group that looks after so many cars and uh, the part of the, the Peugeot group of course too in Europe and, and uh, all that so there's plenty of money being plugged into it S- style wise really pretty it's a beaut yeah. I was looking at it this morning
1: if you ever say you fall in love with a car you fall in love with yeah. this DS4 it looks stunning
6: doesn't it yeah mine was like it oozes beauty and style it was painted it's called nera Black as like kind of puffed out rear Rear wings on it, and it's a, a beautiful trim levels five different trim levels on it. It really got heads turning, you know. Like, it's not very often you come over news agents and you see you don't want to the Honda, it, but just someone looking at your car. And <laughs> next thing they move on, then they see you getting into it, then they run back and they want to ask you everything about the car. And they didn't know who I was, and <laughs> I didn't know who they were. And then a woman walks up and in front of the two of us, was, was speaking about the car. Admires it, it really, admires because it, it's this beautiful grill. There's a, a fair bit of bling on it. Yes, but I, I have no great problem with that. All
1: yeah, right, you know really I enjoyed I it. Yeah, wall- he wallowed in it, folks. He did indeed. What about to drive? Like uh, the comfort of this car is without
6: question. Know, isn't there's it? no doubt at all about that. So look, technology wise they're up there they're, mm. they're right up there the, the car is probably ahead of its time in so many respects it has something called a camera position on top of the windscreen which views and anticipates things like potholes or uneven road surfaces and it will adjust transmit the data to a computer the system controls each of the wheels independently and using the information it balances out and you get a more comfortable drive now uh, someone said oh, it'll cost a fortune to fix no I wouldn't know. it used to be frightening years ago with Citroën suspension I know it was, a lot of it was a, was a Kind of uh, like little, little, little uh, exaggerations. Yeah. But this pays and this works. The big thing I want to tell you about here is the 1.6 pure tech petrol engine uh, with 110 brake horsepower electric motor and a battery of 12.4 kilowatt hours. And that might not make an awful lot of sense to people, but it's called a PEV or a plug in hybrid. Yeah. Now, the thing about this plug in hybrid was I plugged it in as often as I could. And, uh, no, like I wasn't married to the charge, around because it's only a pebble. Like you're not going yeah. to be very long in it there to get up a bit of a charge. To say it will do fifty six to sixty two kilometers of pure electricity, and we tell you the truth, Jerry, I couldn't get that over. I was still driving it. If I was still trying, but I, that didn't worry me because I got the benefits. Other oh, way, you get about thirty, by the way, uh, kilometers on pure electricity. The benefit I got was they will give you a book figure of something absolutely mad like 1.2 to 1.6 litres per 100 kilometres. Now you can work that all out but, but that would be up in the hundreds. No, I got 4.1 which is 68 miles per gallon and I was in Eco and I wasn't really trying but you're inclined to just relax in these cars and you're mm. not flooring the accelerator because if you do you're it's going to be contradictory. The other thing it did get me one back a little bit of favour it's one of the The PEVs that I liked, I'm not, and I go back and again, I'm not a big fan of plug-ins. I think there's a weight factor there with them that I don't really like. Uh, In other words, they're heavier than the normal vehicle. And uh, that's not anti. Like Electrical may be the way. But the the government saw the people buying these cars, uh, some of them with big engines, and not using the plug-in. And the grant was dropped. Do you see because it was being abused basically uh, for the want of a better word but if you plug it in now the other measurement of it is this has a 1.6 liter petrol engine when I mentioned cars there with 2.5 2.4 petrol like that's that that's big, Jerry. You yes. know, and if, yes. if you're not using the plug-in there, you're, you're not doing yourself any favor. Yeah. And you're most certainly not. Doing you're not the going to get the mileage to this. You're not guy. going to get the mileage. And the thing I like about this plug-in, I see. I think it's the new from Mayor Tonello. It's going to be about one point three plug-in litre. that's great. You're coming now into the, you know, yes. the ba- yes, the balance. You, you know?
1: love this car. The DS4 plug-in gets the thumbs up from Tony. It, it
6: does, Jerry. It gets the thumbs up. There's not that many price. dealers out there the price. $39,390 starting, rising up to fifty-six two four with everything on it. everything. Yeah, but it is bells and whistles. Bells and whistles. it is a beautiful car. Someone might start texting and say, "What about depreciation?" Look, uh, I, I I don't know, but when this car gets really going and when people see the build quality and the the warranty and everything's going to be wet, uh, they will be impressed. Terrific.
1: Okay, that's the DS4. You've also had the Volkswagen T-Roc one litre petrol six-speed car. Now, this car has made its mark for
6: sure. It's, a cracker too isn't it it is it is a cracker uh, we, we'll give you the little downside at the very end uh, it is a cracker there's no doubt at all about that and it's in their midst for about six years now Yeah. and they revamped it last year well mind you in order to give it a kind of adapt appearance like a, ten, a timeless like a, a of a appearance to it they didn't have to do an awful lot of work with mm. it like, but it changes to the grille changes to the rear of it and now it has twin, twin exhaust either side now Jerry, if you saw them in the carriers, where you'd expect a big V8 engine underneath the <laughs> yes. bonnet, But this is a little one litre engine, 110 brake horsepower, and it does everything to say. Does something. it push that car along nicely? It, yes. It pushes it no problem whatsoever, Jerry. Like, it's going to cover not to 100 just under 11 seconds, which is not fast. If you want to go start going Grand Prix at traffic lights, you're not going to win any. There's no doubt at all about that. But she has the torque and, and the pulling power. And again, the fuel returns is up to yourself. I got, would you believe it? I love trying to get the best at times. No, without freewheeling, you know, Yeah, I got 52, that's 5.4 litres per 100 kilometres, 52 miles per gallon. And letting the bit of hair I have down, I got 45 <laughs> miles per gallon, which is uh, 66.2 litres per 100 kilometres. If you behave, it,
1: see you and me here, they'd know why I'm
6: laughing. <laughs> <laughs> yes, 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 yes. Unfortunately, unfortunately. But anyway... Uh, Okay, case this, i sweet, sweet damn all here, listeners, so that's why he's laughing. See,
1: he always has the window down and he has all these cars, <laughs> so you have a reason for it. You uh, have a reason. I don't.
6: <laughs> but but no, look, look, the big other thing about it is that kind of get you, get you, get you looking is there's 440 litres of boot space. Now, it's not too many cars. That are, that's based on That the capacity. Golf, that capacity. And that's expandable up to 1,200-odd. So... It's very family-oriented, and it was good to see. Now, if, if you if you had a battery, see, this is the other thing. If you had a PEV there, and it has the battery, it's mm. going to take up possibly more space. And by the way, anyone buying one of these, make sure you bring a golf clubs with you to the station, or to the filling station, or to the garage, and check the boot with the car that your clubs are fit. If you're moving from diesel or petrol to PEVs or electricity, check or your club, golf clubs, I look, maybe not golf clubs, it could be the, the kids' buggy. Yes, yeah,
1: whatever out, you're carrying you know? in the car. That's a that's a very good piece of advice.
6: But the looks have improved in this. Yeah, it's pretty car. There's a new colour. It was called a grey, uh, uh, what, Ascot grey. I would have called it a cream. Some people did not like it, most did like the colour. Yeah. I personally loved the colour of it. Mm. Uh, Beautiful. You need a magnifying glass to find some fault in the build quality of this car. You know, and is that's there any downside? That's a kind of Volkswagen. That's a, a, no. There is a downside. Yeah, there is absolutely. No, you had none with the DS. No downside. There is a downside. And, Go on. and And I think it could be across the board in a lot of cases at the moment in Ireland. The downside is that this car I'm talking about it costs you thirty seven thousand seven hundred and twenty five euro. Now that's a lot of money. In anyone's language, I think I think that's I think that's a lot of money, and it was an Orline Plus model. I know she had a panoramic sunroof and she'd the extras, but the base model is even starting off at thirty one thousand seven hundred five. Now, I can. That's that's just Volkswagen I'm saying. I think it's a lot of money for the car. Mm. I definitely do. But if we stood here and done an alphabetical order of all the cars, the probably only one that's jumping out, and we said this before, at good value was the Suzuki S-Cross at Mm. 31,000, but everything nearly. So just people to drive. And we're, we're gone a little bit like anything, you know, like most things in life here these days. The prices have gone astronomical in case. Now, let me say another thing on this, if you don't mind. And this is not my words, it was actually hinted to me yesterday. We saw a transporter with registered, English registered cars. Mm. Now, sales have been down dramatically with yes. imports. I think they're growing. And they're growing now because the dealers here can see the value in England and they're coming back and out charging the big Irish price for them now. Mm. A little bit of research on by anyone that's out there buying cars.
1: OK, so, but this car...
6: Yes, thumbs up. Thumbs up from Tony yeah, again. Yeah. Oh, look, it's an investment, Jerry. You're going yes. to get your money back, like, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, what about Ford? You have a few pieces of news on Ford for Yeah, me. well, look, it's all electric, Jerry. Electric, electric, electric. There will be a new Explorer. You'll be able to look at it online uh, on the Ford website as an all-new electric Explorer. It's all... Huge big screens on it. It's all modern and it is electric. And it will be, I think, to twenty 2020, twenty four, will be available to order. This is the big move for this Ford the, now big, into electric. Yeah. It's a different. It's not like a Ford. It's not typical of a Ford. No, no, it's it's not typical of a Ford. But like to so many cars, the new Kia too, and as you can say, it's not typical of a Kia. Yeah. Like different shapes and sizes and all that. Hands free driving technology and motorways in England, it's it's a, it's approved on the Ford mach E yes. if you get the app whatever you can take your hands off the steering on motorway and drive whatever you feel like doing that I don't know am I ready for a jet but it's called autonomous and it's it's moving the other thing is cars on what Henry Ford assembly lines what he, what he designed himself basically a hundred years or more ago the cars were always driven off by human beings now they're going to be driving off by themselves going over to the parking lot into the parking lot or charging base whatever else
1: I know a few boys that could do a car like that but I <laughs> I think the roads would be safer but that's a story
6: on chat for another day anyway uh, what about the transit the transit yeah there's a new transit uh, a new transit connect or courier I should say yeah. it's going to be available in in uh, Electric at 2024 and diesel and petrol models can be ordered from the summer this year, Jerry. Diesel and petrol, but there'll be a new electric version of that and that's on the way too. Plus, plus, an off-road version, the Track and Tremor models. Well, well worth going on the Ford website just to see what's coming down the line. It's yes. going to be interesting times. Remember the anniversary down in Cork, it's not that many years, many years ago. And uh, headman himself, Henry, was over. The present Henry and my God, my did they move quickly after that? You mm-hmm. know, to yeah, and to solve whatever else is doing. So
1: big changes. Check it out on the Ford uh, website. Just in terms of sales,
6: can we talk? Toyota have, have their uh, their tails up. Let's they, they, say they Haven't have, they? they, have haven't they? Yeah, they're, they're absolutely flying. There's no doubt at all about that. And uh, what they call them Opel? Last year got a, an award. The the Nissan. The Nissan what do you call it? I'll come to me in a second. Nissan are doing well. Cashkai, Cashkai, The Cash for the yeah,
1: Keshkoi, yeah. wasn't it? They're, they're, they're doing
6: very well. Yeah. It's top seller in the Cashkai.
1: Like you have to say, like it, it was a groundbreaker when it came out first. Yes, uh, and and all others have sort of followed. But
6: by God, they have moved, haven't they? They have, yeah. Along yeah. And, and they've adapted because you must remember for them to turn around and win awards at this stage and be top sellers with and with the with the, you know, the with the E, like you know what? It's the E Power version with that E. It's all about economy too, Jerry. But it's petrol, and for them to come from having sixty odd thousand diesel cash guys to this and end up winning awards like this or being a top seller, it's it's very good too. Like it's it's marvelous stuff. Like, I
1: just know. see all over the place EV. You know what I mean? And and yeah. you know you know the yeah. Mini Countryman EV yes. is on the way, yes. going into production in November. Uh, Renault, you know what I mean? As well, you know, leading the way in the EV. You name it across the board as well. The revolution is well
6: underway, Tony, isn't ah, it? It is, Jerry. And the other thing about it is Renault have deals at the moment on DVs. They go into showrooms and see the list of deals is there. There's a lot of nice packages available and they're they're doing their utmost on this. And then the other thing to look out for, which we have a little piece of information on, is you get the, you get the electric and you get the plug-in and then a year or so down the road, you start getting its news. Like the Volvo, for example, XC40 has a range now up to, they're claiming, 570. Yeah. Uh, the Volvo C40 has a range of 578. That would have come out initially around 400 or less. Yes. So they're improving, improving. The range on the all, all, the, time. all the time. But, I would time just tell you one very important thing. If you're charging your car off a street and not at the home charger, check the prices. That's Check the price. Your home charger, you'll afford it no problem. But you could have something like 96 cent per kilowatt hour and a kilowatt hour would be about 77 kilowatts of the car uh, and that would make up the charge. Then there's a sore charge, 45 minutes after that, of 3.90 per 45 minutes and uh, 45 cent to park in the space in the first place. Dependent on the card you have I'm not knocking but I'm saying there's no one advertising this and telling the people out there you can't bring your home charger to Cork with you and if you use it down in Cork or Galway or Connemara or wherever you're going check what's going to cost you
1: very very good advice there somebody asking about the Mercedes CLA D Coupe Tony will come back to you on uh-huh. that one next time round he hasn't uh, driven it or that himself but we'll go back to that I promise you for the moment Tony Conlon as always Really enjoy your company. Thank you.
6: more than welcome, Gerry. Thank you.
1: Louise, do you like musicals? You know the way I love musicals, you know, stage musicals. Are you more into movies or, um, you know, st- plays rather than, you know? No,
3: I love musicals. Do you like musicals? Plays, yeah. do, you, do you? Yes, That's, right. I do. But the older kind of musicals.
1: Yes, yeah. Not, no, not taking anything away. Wonderful plays as well. But mm-hmm. big news today. Hamilton, the musical. It's been eight years on Broadway. It's a relatively young musical, mm-hmm. you know what I mean. In terms, of, we were talking about the Phantom yesterday. What, thirty-five years yep. of that? But Hamilton is a relatively new musical. But from it made its debut on Broadway. It's in London now as well, and other places, of course. It was a complete sellout. You could not get tickets for it, Louise, for oh. love nor money. It was that. It's compared to Le Mis, you know. Yeah, it re- yeah. it really is, uh, but a much more modern version of it. Anyway, news today: it's coming to Dublin yes it's have you got coming. your ticket well the tickets go on sale on Friday week the 28th of April but listen to this for September 2024 oh, to November 2024 right. it's here for nine weeks uh, but they've never put a show on sale so early and where has it been held? Board in gash, gash. in the Borgash for nine weeks It'll be just phenomenal, and the, they'll be like chicken teeth as well. Anyway, the tickets go on sale this Friday for Hamilton coming to Dublin in uh, September 2024. I'll and, be after my tickets mm-hmm. for sure. And
3: it's like a modern-day version of Les Mis. He Les said. Mis, yes. Okay, so it's kind of like West End side versus West End story versus <laughs> Romeo and Juliet. <laughs> well,
1: I'll, I, I'll have to, I'll have story. to release. I'm sure I'd say it's about war and conflict. You know what I mean? Hamilton, the book, and we'll, we'll check that out anyway. But anyway, the reviews have been marvellous. People all want to go and see it. So if I don't get to see it somewhere outside this country, which I've failed so far, well, you know, a thing called COVID intervened. I was supposed to go actually to London and it didn't happen. Of course, everything was knocked on the head. But anyway, Hamilton coming to the Gosh Energy Theatre in Dublin in 2024. Friday week, the tickets go on sale. Still to come on Late Lunch this afternoon. Uh, yes, my top five countdown on the number four. And we hear about the Biden effect on North Loud. Oliver Goff is celebrating 60 years in business. He's at Flower Hill in Navin, where he's been for a good few years. Give the crew a shout there. They look after you. They're in birthday celebration mode. And they've given us on late lunch some great prizes this week. We've a Husqvarna strimmer battery kit worth €289 Euro to give away each day. And on Friday, we're qualifying five listeners through, one each day. We'll put the names in the hat and we'll draw for the Husqvarna Auto More 550X. It's worth €5,000. What a lovely prize that is and all this week. I've been testing your knowledge on garden weeds. You know, strimmer, weeds, grass, you know the connection there, of course. Anyway, the clues today, the first clue was... It's an easy weed to recognise with its lovely golden yellow flowers. That threw a few of you off for sure. You should have waited for the second clue. Second clue, the foundations of a song with the name of the weed in its title. And thirdly, Ranunculus Repens is the botanical name for... A buttercup. We were looking for a buttercup was the answer we were looking for today. And loads of you got it right. Well done to you. You changed your mind, you see. You went for another yellow one, some of you. And then when you heard the clues, you got it right. All the names into the hat, two have come out today. For the strimmer, the Husqvarna strimmer from Oliver Goff. the winner is Shauna Sweeney. Well done to you, Shauna. The strimmer is yours. And into the hat for the lawnmower on Friday is Kia Rooney. Kia congratulations your name is going into the hat and thanks to everybody who entered i'll have another weed for you tomorrow to identify so don't worry if you're not in today three more chances this week to win the strimmer or get in the hat for the more now let's do this on late lunch
2: five four three two one counting
6: down the top five songs from this week of yesteryear And today
1: it's... The number four from this very week in 1991. And when I tell you this song was first released in 1963 by Mary Clayton and it didn't even chart, yeah? But it became a hit a year later when Betty Everett had a number one on the R&B charts in the USA in 1964. But it will always be remembered for the cover version, the brilliant cover by the one and only Cher in 1990 from the film mermaids here it is the four from this week in 1991 Yes, Cher and the Shoop Shoop song, number four in the UK charts this very week in 1991 and she made it a massive, massive hit. It went to number one, ultimately number four uh, this week we're talking about, but she made that song her own. It was absolutely huge at the time you're out bopping or dancing at disco, sure, it was a must-play. And nearly got two plays in the night when it was top of the charts. Anyway, that's our number four from 1991, April tomorrow, three, Thursday, two. And on Friday, oh, we have a great number one for Friday. We love it on late lunch, and we love him too. Who are we talking about? You'll just have to be with us each day to find out, especially on Friday, for the number one. And if you missed out today on the prizes on the show, don't forget, I'll have another weed coming your way tomorrow on late lunch oh i have them picked i have them picked i've a tough one coming one of the days as well you'll be doing well to get it i'm going to try and fox you one of the days not a fox (laughs) glove no it's not i will try to uh trick but won't be easy will it because um we'll see what happens anyway next up on late lunch after the final break of this tuesday afternoon joe biden was in town you do know mr biden was here last week of course you do and he visited the Weed County. But already the benefits of his visit are being realised. Thomas McAvoy is with me next to tell us more. The world's eyes were on County Louth, among other places in Ireland last week, but in particular on the first day of his visit here to the Republic of Ireland, as he Joe Biden attended, Carlingford and Dundalk. And the interest is simply phenomenal. To tell me more, Louth County Council's Director of Planning and Economic Development is on the line, Thomas McAvoy. Hello again, Thomas. How are you, Jerry? Good to talk to you again. And me to you too. It's been a while. Well, there are actual concrete now figures around what happened when he was here and the online effect it had. Just explain to our listeners the numbers, Thomas.
5: Yeah, well, some of the numbers are quite staggering and you probably have to sit down and scratch your head and say, well, what does it mean? But, I mean, if you, if you take the largest numbers uh, and you look at what reach did... Loud, Carlingford, Dundalk have. Uh, The numbers that we have looked at over the the weekend as a result of his visit last week show that uh, the reach for Dundalk was 89 million people. The reach for Carlingford was 334 million and the reach for Loud was 257 million. And that's where the White House are the president himself or um, any any influencers were putting out posts with those names in their posts. Mm. So that's it at its very highest level. Uh, and I suppose it's really like a pyramid. You know, you build from the base up. Yes. And uh, at the base, you've got this, let's call it awareness or name recognition where you get the name out. And then as you move up the pyramid, hopefully you're going to have more of an impact. And what we're trying to do really is go up that pyramid in terms of, well, what does that mean? Mm. Uh, And then if we take, you know, go to the next layer, we say, well, how many times were those locations mentioned? Uh, And again, the numbers are quite extraordinary. You know, Dundalk got mentioned uh, 2,300 times, Carlingford over 3,100 times, and Loud over 3,200 times. And these are all independent entries Online, where people are making a comment about using the one of those three location terms, yes. uh, we're able to map that out over the last number of days. So, to give you a sense, like th- those numbers are approximately anywhere from 100 to 150 times what they would normally be. Mm. Uh, so, again, people t- to that extent are talking about Loud and Carlingford and Dundalk to a much greater extent online than they would otherwise be. So that yes. that that has to be positive. Uh, and then, of course, what we're trying to do now is build on that and to say, well, OK, if if the name is out there and it has that big, broad reach, and if you have, you know, over 100 times or 150 times the people mentioning those locations, how do we get that in terms of uh, economic impact and visits and so on? Yeah. And we looked at our own website. Now, we have, bear in mind, we have a number of websites mm. uh, when it comes to tourism. But one of the key ones that would be visitloud.ie you know, and we would typically have about three hundred and fifty visitors on that each week. Uh, last week we had three thousand. Yeah, huge. So you can see at least an eight time uh, increase in terms of people coming in, landing on a site, and saying, "Well, okay, what is Loud to offer?" Yeah. Now we haven't looked at the Carlingford.ie site. We just have a bit more tweaking to do on that, and we we uh, we also need to look at the the Sea Loud and some of the other you know ie and discover Boyne Valley to see what yes. were the indirect impacts there also, but they're all the they're the suite of online tools let's say or portals that we have uh, and we 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 you know we want to measure all of them and then hopefully by having those by having that online presence. You're hoping that people will click through and find out a little bit more about the location and hopefully book, whether it's book a restaurant or book a a visit or accommodation or whatever it might be, an activity. Uh, And that, that at the end of the day, will have the impact. But you you can't have an impact unless you start somewhere. You have to have the awareness and you have to have the people talking about you yeah. and, and that's where we're at and yeah. hopefully we can move in the direction of having that impact
1: Convert that now into all that's good and bringing people in and spending in the area and as you said an awareness of the area as a place to live as a place to work perhaps set up your business too. 80% abroad 50% in the USA this is a further breakdown and 20% in the UK across those figures you mentioned there so there's a real good spread and it shows you the impact it had in, in the States too Thomas like people are Often question these things as well, but really, people have been following and follow this man. So he's one of the most powerful men in the world intensely.
5: Absolutely, and in fact, on Thursday, and I, uh, not many people loud would read the Wall Street Journal, but if you if you travel the world, you'll find it on newsstands from the U.S. to Europe to Asia. And the front page of the Wall Street Journal last Thursday had a picture of Joe Biden standing outside the Windsor Bar in Dundalk. Um, you know, I mean, you, you can't buy that, uh, but it gets people thinking and talking and people do follow him. I mean, you see it the, the, the JFK effect down in Wexford, mm. um, you know, and hopefully we can start to map out a, a Biden type tour, you know, of places he went to visit or, you know. And it, yes. and it doesn't have to be in, it doesn't have to be just last week. I mean, he has been to County Loud on two previous occasions and he is the only person to hold the freedom of the county um, as well. So, you know, there is something there that we can maybe package in a way to, to bring to the marketplace to say, hey, here's, a, you know, here, here's a program of places and activities you can do based around where, where the president has been before.
1: Yeah, exactly. It's uh, amazing, you know what I mean? And, and this is the way of the world. It's uh, the online world that people populate and inhabit hugely and extensively that then leads into, you know, uh, benefits I- in the real world itself. In an overall context, from your own perspective, and the council must be delighted with the way it went.
5: Yeah, we're very happy and there was a lot of work. Uh, put in in the background in terms of preparation and you know right from the chief executive right down to everybody who was you know cleaning the streets uh, m- welding the manhole covers uh, putting flowers out decorating and, and making the place look great uh, uh, you know right through to the civil defense right through to the fire service who were there on standby uh, so a lot of visible work but then there was a lot of invisible work in the background and the invisible work was tweaking our websites. Knowing he was going to Carlingford Castle, knowing he was going to Dundalk, and then getting into the search engines behind that, and tweaking those so that when people uh, either mentioned or looked for that word, they were pointing towards one of our sites. You know, so all of that helps. You know, helps I suppose direct the flow of eyeballs towards yes. towards a loud product. So a lot of that happened in the background in the days and the week before his visit uh, and, and hopefully that's what will feed through in terms of impact in the future.
1: I'm sure it will, Thomas. Thank you so much for filling us in there on those numbers. Phenomenal. Well done to everybody. Congratulations. Thank you, Jerry. Talk soon. Take care of yourself. That's Thomas McAvoy, Loud County Council's Director of Planning and Economic Development. Eddie Caffrey's on his way with the drive. We'll see you tomorrow at 1.30 but we leave you in the company of Lewis Capaldi.
2: <laughs>